0: You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey, formerly Bulletproof, Bulletproof Radio. A state of high performance. For 10 years, across a thousand episodes and a quarter billion listens, my podcast has elevated what you knew about the capabilities of your mind and body. And because we're at the 10-year anniversary, I'm evolving bulletproof radio even further in my plan to upgrade humanity. And I'm evolving myself as well. I invite you to expand your knowledge, explore your performance and embrace your possibility with the human upgrade. You'll meet bright thinkers and radical doers who push the boundaries of science, technology, personal development and human performance in every way imaginable. Every guest you listen to, every topic you learn about, every new idea you discover on this podcast is there to move you forward. Join me on this next evolution to upgrade your mind, body and life. And be sure that you're subscribed to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey on your favorite podcast platform so you hear every single episode. My commitment to you is that the time you spend with me on The Human Upgrade will always return more value to you than you spent on it. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey, formerly known as Bulletproof Radio. I mean, the podcast, not me. I was formerly known as Hey That Jerk, but I did enough brain hacking that I'm at least less of a jerk now. Today, we're not going to talk about brain hacking, except we are. Because at least in my world, the brain extends far beyond the skull. We have this weird thing called a nervous system, And it's all technically a part of the brain. It's all connected to the brain. And there's lots of local parts, lots of processing nodules that happen both inside cells and inside functional groups within the body. And this is why functional movement has been such a a core part of what I've talked about since the very beginning of Bulletproof Radio, since the very first few blog posts, saying if you don't know how to move then you don't have to activate muscles right. You're wasting a huge amount of energy. And another big part of my recommendations are be super lazy, (laughs) which means efficiency in everything you do. So waste less energy. Be better at making it and be better at not wasting it. And magically, you'll have a lot more left at the end of the day. And today, we're going to talk about something called the Align Method with my friend uh, Aaron Alexander, He's been on a, a bunch of podcasts with guys who've been on here as, as well, who have shows. Kelly Starrett, who actually coined the term "disaster pants" on an early interview in the first hundred, wrote the wrote the foreword for. Uh, For the book, if you don't know what disaster pants is, because you're a new listener, disaster pants is what happens when you have cheap MCT oil that is a gastric irritant. Even though MCT oil is a high performance thing, it should not be high performance rocket fuel in the disaster pants sort of way. It should just be for your brain and your body. Not to get too graphic, but that was what Kelly did. So, Aaron, I think we first in twenty well 2021 just recently you presented at my biohacking conference, and years ago I know you. You treated me at my conference. I think you might have presented then as well. Were you yeah. presenting way back in like 2014 or something?
1: Not that long ago. I think the first one was maybe four years ago or so. But okay, good deal. Yeah. So anyway, we've yeah.
0: been we've known each other for a while. He's got very solid, uh, very solid knowledge um, of uh, of functional movement and just doing a practice with you. I, I know a few people who can look at someone walk in the door and it's like Neo from the Matrix, and he sees all zeros and ones instead of reality. And you walk in the door and he's looking at me like Dave. So your left, whatever, uh, penis joint—I have no idea what you called it—is uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. is, is dysfunctional. Yeah, uh, it
1: was hyperactive. It was flaccid, hyperactive. it was a flaccid, was a flaccid <laughs> penis joint, actually. Thankfully, <laughs> yeah, thank God, right? Yeah,
0: we don't want that kind of a hotel room treatment. And um, but like you, you can see stuff that no one who is normal in the way they view the world would do it. Same way I look at a bottle of supplements and I'm like, I know exactly where they cut corners and why it's going to work and what it's going to do because yep. I know because I've lived it for so long. So you look at the way everyone around you moves and it's, uh, it's really, uh, it, it's really impressive and also your knowledge of what to do about it. So having a, uh, your align method book is is cool because it's like all right we are sitting we acknowledge that we're sitting what are we going to do about it i think is really important and valuable for listeners and that's why i wanted to have you on today
1: great there's so many uh, amazing angles to go from everything that you just said i think we could pretty much just you essentially just outlined a perfect podcast of every point that you hit at um so thanks for that um So the the first thing in relation to people communicating via body language, for example, would be an interesting place to go and how some people have these neo powers to be able to perceive what's happening with someone's psoas or what's happening in their, you know, whatever part of the body name specific polysyllabic term of uh, anatomical structure. Uh, but we're always <laughs> communicating with our body language you know so there's a, a psychologist from the 60s called Albert Morabian you might have heard of previously he came up with a, a principle called the 7 principle and what it denoted essentially was 55, percent of our communication comes from body language and then 38 percent of our communication comes from the tone of our language and then there's that last remaining seven percent that's actually the words that we're using with each other and if there's any incongruence between what we say with our tone and also pacing of our language and our, our postural patterns and our facial facial gestures um, with 93 percent 93 percent of the time we're going to trust what we hear and see and perceive with the body, you know? And so if you're a person that's just been successful in any capacity in your life with relationships or with business, or, you know, you can just walk down the street and not get robbed with regularity. um, Then you're gathering millions of bits or billions of bits of information based off of the way that people move through the room, you know? And so that's, that's a big part yeah. of what the Align Method represents, and what um, I think a lot of people in the health wellness space are digging into, whether they you know put that language on it or not. Um, you know, the way that we breathe is indicative of our mental, emotional, physiological state. The way that we walk, the way that we use our eyes. You know, so we're always communicating, and it's just such a rich conversation. I'm like, you know, I'm so excited to write a book about it.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> it. It's true. In fact, I think we use more than our eyes, uh, more often than we think. So we see stuff, but we're also feeling stuff that we integrate in. You know, we're even feeling people's magnetic fields. Sure. And you could say, yeah. seriously, Dave, that's pretty hippie. I'm like, hey, I've got the data. i was an advisor to the HeartMath Institute <laughs> yeah, the Heart for Math a Institute. while. <laughs> so that that's real. Yeah. Uh, so do people change, or when people change how they sit or how they stand or their posture, does it affect how
1: people treat them? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there, So we actually referenced that in the book. There was a study, I think it was, I believe it was UCLA. They came up with a study where they, um, follow, they, they went to prisons and they questioned different inmates that were in there for violent crimes. And they presented them with different images and videos of various different people walking down the street. And they said, like, who would be prey here for you? You know, like which person would you go after and it it wouldn't be the sex of the person or the race of the person, it was the level of integration or organization with the way that they moved. So a person that feels stable, feels like, you know, they're well oriented, they know where they're going, you don't want to mess with that person. Whereas a person that's kind of disoriented or dysregulated, just like in nature, that would be an easier prey. And so that's something that we're, I think we're subtly doing in relationships all the time. Maybe a person plays like the victim mentality, you know, and they just keep on rehearsing that and they're like, gosh, dang it. I don't know why I keep going back to that, that mental, emotional expression or pattern. Um, But they're not necessarily looking at how are we communicating in our relationships with our body language. And so if you can start to kind of do like a self audit of like, how, how do I feel in my body? when i communicate with somebody else you know and and with very high high accuracy high percentage of the time if you were to be able to take a, an image of yourself or a video of yourself you might see yourself just like in that in that study within prisons where you're like oh my god like i'm expressing as a victim you know and that could look maybe like i'm cowering my shoulders forward i'm doing that you know all the anatomical terms i'm going hyperkyphosis of my spine or maybe upper cross syndrome with my neck or like forward head posture Maybe my hips are kind of are kind of tilted towards the door. My feet are going in the direction of the door. It's like I want to get out of the room. And so all of those, those are the messages that we're really conveying to each other. And then, you know, a lot of the the, the words is, can almost be like minutiae in a way.
0: So, so having full awareness of where your body is, just proper function, that's the unconscious part of that. And then there's the conscious part of that that you can use actually to make people uh know what you want them to know with what you're saying. In other words, they can know you're serious. Yeah. Part of my uh, practice is uh, I believe it's really important to know how to be dangerous. (laughs) And being dangerous doesn't mean you're trained in a martial art to kill everyone in the room. It means having a ton of energy so that you can think for yourself. But it also means knowing how to stand up and be grounded Mm -hmm. so that someone can look at you and be like, that's not a good target. Correct. Right, and I have an unfair advantage. I'm six four. <laughs> I'm carrying a lot of muscle right now, uh, so I'm generally not that guy anyway. Because there are going to be there's going to be someone who's easier to rob. Um, but I don't. I've been in situations in you know um, impoverished countries where I'm all by myself in the middle of nowhere, and you know, come on, I don't know what's going to happen. But there's a vibe that you carry when when you walk the right way and all of that, and. What I don't think we acknowledge in the world is is the connection between proper structural integration of your fascia yeah. uh, and all the things your posture with having that vibe automatically versus you know walking into a room with like the I'm going to kill everyone here need killing kind of vibe yeah uh, which you can turn on so it's just more work to turn it on and in in the interest of being lazy I like the idea of having my body automatically look like something that works so well you should not mess with it and then being able to turn
1: on don't mess with me energy when you need to yeah absolutely yeah all right how do we do that well so where it gets interesting is to make that be something that's automatic you know as opposed to a thing that you do a thing that you are you need to look at the 90 percent of your day where you're probably if you're grow up in western culture there's a good chance or you know outside of western culture at this point there's a good chance that you're spending a a massive chunk of that day probably on a chair Well, so where it gets interesting is to make that be something that's automatic, you know, as opposed to a thing that you do, a thing that you are, you need to look at the 90% of your day where you're probably, if you grow up in Western culture, there's a good chance or, you know, outside of Western culture at this point, there's a good chance that you're spending a, a massive chunk of that day, probably on a chair. You know, so you're sitting down in a chair, your ankles, your hips, your knees, everything's just at that static 90 degree angle, doesn't really go beyond that. Uh, and you're probably maybe a little hunched forward. Your pelvis is probably wrapped underneath in that posterior tilted position, which if you—if there was a dog that was in trouble, for example, you know, say you're going to like, you know, I would never hit a dog with a newspaper, you know, but you might see in like a comic book or something. Uh, not even a, the
0: Washington Post. Oh no, that's for cleaning right, up the dog's mess. Right, I'm sorry. Right, I, I right, that exactly. would look backwards. <laughs> you know, but so if a,
1: if a dog feels like it's in trouble, and <laughs> immediately you'll see its ears go down, you'll see its 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 pelvis kind of wrap under in that posterior tilt position, the tail goes underneath the legs. Like the dog knows what's going on. And and then the physiology of the dog, the musculoskeletal system, like that that deeper intelligence of the dog knows what's going on. You know, and so when you look at at people in modernity. You know, depression is becoming the number one leading cause of disability worldwide, you know, and and antidepressant medications and anti-anxiety medications and like self-harm people like hurt cutting themselves. You know, like that's something that's that's not just that's not just an innate human quality to want to self-harm. You know, and so and I'm not saying that this, this is just exclusively a, a postural thing, there's so many different layers to it. But one of the layers is the way that we inhabit our physical bodies. You know, and so if you were to look around the, the modern mold, you know, and what's the the the, the movement environment that we exist in, uh, typically it's kind of it pulls us into a, a collapsed, depressed, depressed in the literal sense of the meaning, being pulled down. Um, disoriented or disorganized position. And then when you want to get up and go and be an athlete or be confident or be, you know, any of those things, be a good father, you know, present in a boardroom and you want people to to, to feel like you know what the heck you're talking about. Uh, you've been preparing yourself to express a collapsed position, which ultimately people aren't going to trust. You know, so something that you can start to do is start to integrate a little just you know a little bit more awareness into your daily life and the big thing is changing the shape of your environment you know so so bruce lipton is is a guy that's um I'm, I'm grateful to call a a friend i did a podcast with him just like a year ago or so and we yeah, were talking
0: I, we're friends as well great guy right he's
1: sweetie yes yeah. so i went yeah, up to, okay. i went up to his to his 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 place and you know spent the day hanging out and one of the things he was talking to me on the podcast was about uh, you know working with with cells in petri dishes, and if you want to change the the orientation or the structure, you know that you want to change what's happening at a biochemical level with the cell. You don't go in and do stuff to the cell; you go into the culture that the cell exists within. And so, if you want to do something with your own biology. It would make sense to maybe make, start to adjust the culture that you exist within. The very definition of biohacking is to change the environment
0: around you and inside of you so you have full control of your own biology. And it was directly inspired by Bruce Lipton's work. I, I reference oh, him a lot in my very first book. Cool. But it's the story you're talking about. You change what's around you. So all of the stuff that I've taught, ultimately, is you change what's around you or what's inside of you. But around you is the most leveraged thing because you have to think about it. But if it's inside of you, you have to do a lot of thinking and personal development work or whatever. Yeah, it's just the laziest way to do it is, you know, change how you're sitting because yeah. it's less work than you know digging deep and dealing with the trauma. Although you probably should do both. Yeah, <laughs> right. But the ROI on changing how you sit is very high.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even and then even relates to this is a little bit of a jump, but it ties back in to athletics. If we put our focus externally. Which um, Gabriel, Gabriel or Gabrielle Wolf would be the one of, like the primary thought leaders in this conversation? If we put our focus externally, it's going to be more effective at hitting the golf ball than putting our our focus internally. You know, so if you're out there, you know, you like caddyshack, you want to become the ball. You know, so you put your mind into the environment, but you're doing that anyway. Your body self organizes around that perceived goal. Whereas if you put all your energy internally, it's beautiful, like it's, it's such an important practice to do. But if you're nav- if you're having a conversation with somebody and you're thinking about yourself, you're not having a conversation with somebody. You know? And so it's just even that with that attention, you're going to be so much more effective by just bringing your awareness of like, okay, like what's, what is the shape of this room right now? This is kind of a little bit of a, a jump back. Um, you know, but if we can just, an example right now is that we're having this conversation, I'm, I'm on the ground know it's like crazy you know so how, how are you sitting right now once
0: you're on the ground
1: so right now I'm cross-legged I was just in a straddle position a second ago and uh, you would never realize it you know technically like we're at work in quotations thankfully we can call this work um, you know but you'd never realize it I don't have to be some heretic you know some crazy person like my house looks normal I have a couch you know I've got like a you know a tv on the wall I've got like a, you walk in it looks pretty like a normal place Um, but I have a really comfortable rug that I'm on, you know, and I have you're sitting on the floor. I'm sitting on the floor. So I have, I have floor cushions down. I have like Moroccan poofs and stuff around, you know? And so when you come into that room, it invites your body to say, oh, cool. Let's get all the way down to the ground because it's, you know, it's, it's available. And I'll just say one more thing. The there was recently some research from university of uh, Southern California. Where the researchers went out to northern Tanzania and spent time with Hatsa people, and you know hatsa seems like they're like everybody's studying the hatsa um, and what they found with the the tribe there was that the people spent about similar amount of time. Uh, in resting positions as industrialized cultures would so the number they came up with like highly precise ridiculous average number was 9.82 hours per day that they were in resting positions but the difference it's not the the resting position it's how are you resting so it's like it's totally fine for you to sit throughout the day it would be totally it would be very strange if you were just like always climbing trees and squatting and up and down and you know so Resting positions are completely fine. It's the, it's the manner in which you do it, and so what they were doing is they were in kneeling positions for a good chunk of the day. They were in a deep squat or like a malasana, to use yoga terms, for a good chunk of the day. They're in a sukhasana position like this, you know. And so then those people end up, you know, having a lot healthier outcomes. Um, that, um, that
0: it makes so much sense when you, you think about it, and I've I've been trying to figure out how do I explain. Exactly what you're doing. Some of the upgrade collective, our live audience before you came, I was saying, "What what was it, chiropractor, or whatever?" And It's just like no. But there's like Western stuff. There's, uh, you know, Eastern stuff. There's coaching. How how do you describe a functional movement coach? Uh, Like like what are the things that go into that?
1: yeah so my my background uh rolfing would be the the main thing so structural integration is the thing that you you'd already mentioned um and before that it was it was training clients so before previously it was you know fitness exercise getting gains and goals and losing fat and all that and then that turned into manual therapy in the form of rolfing um, and then visceral manipulation cranial sacral therapy various different modalities of hands-on body work uh, let me ask you something about rolfing. I, some of our audience yeah, probably sure. doesn't know about it. So, Ida Rolf uh,
0: back in the 70s or maybe late 60s invented this crazy thing where it's like the world's most aggressive military massage, where you lay there, you're kind of rolling your eyes a bit. I don't want to hear what you have to say, but, but you know, they, and I, I did some rolfing with one of the nine living people who trained directly with Ida. Hmm. And man, actually with two of them and, and they go in like stick their hand underneath a muscle where no hand has ever been before and they're lifting and grinding um and it it's it's something that when that happens to me I just go to sleep and then they just they're done and they're like what just happened I, that doesn't happen. I I don't know why that that happens but most people who Rolf describe or who have been Rolf especially when they're new to it jumping up and getting off the table like it it's pretty rough um but I know it's evolved since the 70s, and I only did it with the old school Rolfers. Yeah. So what is rolfing now versus what it used to be?
1: It really just, <clears throat> just depends on the person with anything. Okay. It's like if you have Chinese food in one restaurant, <clears throat> you're. it's not like you've had all of Chinese food and, and all of the planet. So it's so, like chiropractic, there's many flavors then. Oh yeah, absolutely. So s- structural integration, the defining factor of structural integration, is what, which is what Ida referred to it previously. Um, would be you're looking to assist the body along in aligning the foot in relation to the knee in relation to the hips and the spine, you know, the whole system, so that when the body gets up off of the table and they walk and they breathe and they go, you know, live their lives, they're in a better position to self-organize, essentially. You know, so that's it's, it's kind of a similar conversation before of like becoming the ball. You know, if you can get the body in enough alignment, you know, and get tissues that may have been, you know, maybe impinged or dehydrated or agglomerated, bound together. And you can kind of free them up enough that when the body does go out and and live its life, it's like literally every step that a person takes is one of restoration. But if there's so much friction and grinding and imbalance, then the steps that we're taking could be kind of uh, more attrition. And so then if people have heard of fascia, you our connective tissue, which has become really popular over the last decade or so, um, structural integration or rolfing would be, I would say, the most, like the, the, the leading influence in popularizing that conversation.
0: The data that I've seen, and it, it comes from rolfing, it also comes from acupuncture, and qigong, and even ni gong, uh, which is a lesser known kind of relative of that. Um, is that the fascia carries information around. I, I mentioned earlier these systems in the body. Uh, so when, when uh, a certain number of cells sense a certain number of things, some of the electrical signaling comes along the fascial plane. And the chemical signaling is slower and comes out through various tissues, you know, like mm-hmm. blood flow and yep. uh, inter- and intracellular stuff. So... Uh, the fascia, as an electrical signaling thing, is that a part of how you see it in the Align method, or is it more just a physical holding of, of the tissues?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's both. Everyone's talking about red
0: light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices, You're listening to the Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Uh, the fascias, as an electrical signaling thing, is that a part of how you see it in the Align Method, or is it more just a physical holding of of the tissues?
1: Well, it's 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 both, you know. And so, uh, f- in the book, we keep it pretty simple, um, so that people it's more an, an action plan or a manual for you call it like physical inhabitants. You know, so it's teaching a person how to instead of fitness being a thing that a person does how do we get to a person to a point where fitness is who you are you know and so by going in there it's thinking it's like the baseline is the mechanics you know understanding how to drive the body more effectively and so a simple aspect of that would be maybe like understanding how to hinge from the hips when you lift something up off of the ground you know so how do we make it so that we can get derive leverage from our hips and those you know super robust gluteal muscles how do we put that energy back into the, into the badonkadonk, you know? And so that's like when you see a a girl or a guy with, you know, a a healthy butt, like a Brazilian butt, you know, I think that there's, there's, there's some ancestral wisdom to us being attracted to a person with a healthy butt, because it's an indication that, oh, the mechanics of that, that person functions well. There's longevity in that system, you know? And so uh, the, the baseline the baseline is teaching people like, cool, like, how do we just, how do I drive this thing? (laughs) Like, I never got, I started off before, you know, age four or so. I was, you know, naturally going through my developmental patterns and I was, you know, cross crawling and I was squatting and I was, you know, putting things into my mouth and, you know, developing my microbiome and I was looking out into the distance and I was looking up and I was taking in the panorama and I was, you know, I was crying if I was scared and I was expressing, you know, like that's, the body before going into the institution nothing wrong with any of the institution it's not right wrong it's not a moralistic thing it just is what it is it forms the body into it it's like a new press or a new mold suddenly we need to put certain types of shoes on you know oh we got to get the air jordans or you know we got to get the new nikes and like okay now we're adding this new arbitrary obscure lift in the heel you know now we're going to be in this chair for a re- ridiculous amount of time and we're going to start to retrain what you know I I previously I had these really strong effective efficient native spinal patterns I start to kind of take myself out of those native ranges and put myself more into this you know collapsed type postural position and so uh, throughout that time we're learning how to be effective you know to go to work or maybe kind of be like gears or cogs in in a broader system. Uh, but physical autonomy isn't really something that's that's broadly educated unless you go to some like special school or you have really amazing parents. You know, so the the baseline of the Align Method is really putting like in like the heuristics or really simplistic terms of how do we just the baseline principles of how to effectively drive the body, and then from there that's the the purely kind of musculoskeletal mechanical perspective, and we can get into that. Uh, but then also getting into um, all of these amazing toggles that we have in our body called our senses that affect the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we you know, perceive the world and the way that the world perceives us. So the, the way that the book was written was, was essentially like a user's manual on how to drive your body effectively. You mentioned that having a,
0: a dump truck uh, makes you more Attractive, B- or, dunk or, dunk. B- but donk dunk a dunk. Dunk. but There's dunk. lots of that's, that's correct. Lots of terms. <laughs> I, I think a dump truck is a little. Bit, <laughs> it, it's the funniest term that I can think of. For that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that is uh, uh, the Sami podcast. Yeah, but the the three reasons are, and you just added one, so I only had two reasons before this. But sure. one of them is because it's a signal that the person is grounded and has a functional body.
1: Yeah, I mean, your whole body is that. You can think of your muscles like endocrine organs. You know, and 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 each of your joints, they're 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 tuning the, the, the symphony of your neurology, the way that you produce yourself at a neurochemical level, you know, so a similar, similar concept with ankle range of motion is tied into the, the dopaminergic system in your brain. So when you're out taking a walk, it's like you, you are literally playing the symphony of your physiology. You know, walking is one of the healthiest things that a person can do is just going out and getting yourself into that, you know, that contralateral motion, contralateral being just like walking pattern. As you're as you're doing that, you know you're you're stimulating your brain function. Uh, you're also stimulating things like peristalsis and, and and digestion and and organ function. So as you're going through that range of motion, you're twisting yourself out. You, know, you think of that as almost like you're twisting a rag out. If you got some gunk in a rag, you might want to put some water on the rag, and then you might twist the rag out. And then if there's still a little bit more gunk in there, you might put a little more water in there, and then you twist the rag out again. You know, so to be a healthy, whole human being, I think is so much less complicated than what the the vision of of what, you know, I've had at least in my own mind, or many of us might have, you know, it's, you need to be outside, (laughs) you know, you need to allow your eyes going back to the eye stuff. Your eyes are continuous with your central nervous system, you know, so Mm -hmm. if you are myopically focusing in, and there's a, a, we have a, a vision chapter in the Align Method book as well that I was I'm very grateful for Dr. Andrew Huberman to have gone through and revised and been just immensely supportive. Yeah, have just been immensely supportive. Um, you know, so you need to. Well, you don't need to do anything. <laughs> you know, first define a goal. Need, like where? where do you? A want, weasel
0: word. There you go. Yeah,
1: yeah. Where do? You, where do you want to arrive? Like from mm-hmm. from there. Me personally, I'd like to you know feel adaptable. I'd like longevity. I'd like strength and flexibility and dexterity, creativity uh you know so from there defining the goal and then after that i think most people probably would align with most of those things you know nature will do most of that for us but since we've been um domesticated you could say with the institution not to sound too like tinfoil hat uh but since our domestication if you take a dog, which all dogs originally came from the gray wolf, you know, and suddenly you have a Pomeranian, and you want to put that Pomeranian back into the nature, uh, there might be some training wheels to re-educate the dog on how to to really be able to thrive in those situations. And in a baseline would be understanding, you know, basic fundamental mechanics. Um, so the hip hinge is one that we get into the book. That's you know a relevant a relevant thing to pay attention to. Uh, another really simple, easy tool for people to to be able to play with. Uh, would be just getting your arms up over your head and that's so that's something that <laughs> most of us if you're if we're you really honest. holding them up or we <clears throat> just like hanging
0: activity hanging oh, oh hanging okay yeah. I, I do but that arm, most arms mornings. up arms
1: up over your head and in, in, in general is going to be really supportive so by doing that you know so the eyes allowing the eyes to go through a full range of motion utilizing the panoramic view utilizing the my, myopic focusing in um, so Acknowledging that there's a range of motion, there's a fitness to the way that we use our visual muscles, right? There's a there's a fitness to the way that we derive leverage from our bodies when we're picking something up off of the ground uh, with the arms going up over the head. Uh, there's a, a an interesting book called Shoulder Pain Question Mark by a guy called Doctor John Kirsch, and he was an orthopedic surgeon that uh, he was found that by just taking people through a really simple hanging protocol, which I essentially outline and modify in, in the align method, uh, he found that 99% of the people that he was going to treat for shoulder impingement syndrome and was actually going to conduct a surgery with them, he found that he could treat them just by bringing them back into their arboreal tendencies, you know, to bring them back into the place of of just getting the arms up over the head, spending some time hanging and decompressing, and starting to rearrange the structure of that shoulder girdle. You know, and, and within that, it's not just a shoulder girdle thing. And this gets into the structural integration stuff. Everything is relates to everything else. You know, if you pull on, if you're wearing a sweater and you pull on one thread in the sweater, the whole sweater orients around that pull. So it's a similar mm. concept when you're treating something like, oh, I have a shoulder thing or I have a back thing or I have a knee thing or an ankle thing or neck thing. You don't have a neck thing. You have a full body thing. you know. And so by just spending that time, the, the hanging position is such a beautiful, effective shotgun to start to clear up so many issues throughout the body. Uh, one would be opening up space around the lungs. You know, so as you're going in that hanging position, you're opening up space and those intercostal muscles start to open up, the the muscles in between the ribs. Each of your ribs, when you're breathing, they should hinge in, up, and down like like handles of a bucket. So they go up and they go down, inspiration, expiration, inspiration, expiration. If those get impinged or stuck, bound, um, then you're going to be limiting your respiratory capacity. You're limiting yourself, your, your, your potential output as a human being. And then that gets into, okay, well, what's happening with your diaphragm? Oh, man, well, the diaphragm's related to the vagus nerve and all of these different psycho-emotional uh, situations where if we pull in any of these, these physiological or, or musculoskeletal strings, it will trickle not just into the way that we show up mechanically, but those are also tied into our endocrine system and our neurochemical system and the way that we express you know so that would be another really simple thing that people could play with is just get a pull-up bar in your house and just you know put in a a place that you commonly go through changing the environment and just hang for 15 seconds 20 seconds and just introduce that into your day and make it who you are as opposed to like a thing that you do at the gym twice a week
0: if you guys think that that is a BS. When I built the labs where I'm recording this now, I had a pull-up bar made out of like a threaded pipe for plumbing with like cool industrial looking fittings. <laughs> uh, when you walk down the stairs, it's right there. And my kids, when they go downstairs, they always grab onto it and swing until they can kick their feet up. Yeah. i will actually hang from the thing. Uh, so I do that probably two or three times a day uh, just because it's there. And I have a pull-up bar that's built in that's over there. Uh, and I do that most mornings, although I've got a rotator cuff thing right now that I haven't done that in a little while, but it's uh, uh, it's something that I actually do. So I, I want you guys to know I I believe in this. I can't say I've done the full Align method properly, uh, but I do appreciate the uh, treatment work with you. Uh, the philosophy is is very strong. What I want to know, though, is if I was going to say, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to follow all the principles in the Align method, I'm going to do whatever I should do every day for maximum results, how much yeah. time would it take me to do that?
1: I mean, you, you'll, you'll notice changes immediately. You know, so, so that's the thing is understanding, coming back to the the analogy of you, we have all these physiological toggles that we can pull on. We just haven't ever been really granted the, the instructions on how to effectively utilize them. You know, one of the obvious ones would be understanding how to l- utilize your breath effectively. You know, so Wim Hof, recently popularized the you know kind of like the holotropic style of breathing or like tumo meditation or the oh, yeah oh, oh, oh. that's replicating what would happen if you were you, you're in the fifth gear of your respiration you're up at the top of a mountain you know or maybe you're having sex with someone or you're doing something where you're really exasperated oh, like that's replicating fitness that's replicating it's putting your body in that that um that pl- that that space where it's saying, oh, okay, cool, like we're 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 either under attack or running from something or like we're on the move here, right? And so when you put yourself into that place, it puts you it increases norepinephrine and kind of you know sets your body, it cues your body up for uh, you know sympathetic activation, it cues your body up to be ready to go. The opposite of that would be getting into like oxygen advantage and Patrick McEwen and Buteyko method, be a long exhalation. You know, and no. emphasizing breath holds, perhaps. Right. Uh, they've so, both
0: been on, on the show uh, yeah. throughout
1: history, mouth yeah, taping.
0: You yeah. of you're a fan of mouth taping? I tape my mouth every night. Yeah, okay. very important, very, me important too.
1: very important for me.
0: And if you, you have a beard, how do you do it? I've had lots of guys with beards ask me that.
1: I just use, so I just use like the, the base, you know, that, the tape, like surgical, whatever tape, yeah, whatever, yeah, the little stuff. And I just put it like a little James Nestor strives with like the Hitler mustache. I just do a little thing like just covers just on the
0: lips, but not over.
1: No, uh, no, no. no. Not the the whole thing. Okay. So guys, listen, everyone
0: can do it. Uh, Even, even your mother-in-law who may have her own mustache. It'll work just
1: fine. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Incredibly (laughs) effective. And so, and so within that, it's like, okay, sympathetic parasympathetic like there's no right wrong one's better or worse than the other they're both invaluable tools for us to be able to access and yes the real value is being able to uh, oscillate between those spaces in your nervous system and also be able to choose how do i want to feel in this moment so if you're maybe say you're about to do something that makes you anxious or nervous um, and you're like man this is a little bit too much sympathetic overdrive right now. Like I'm freaking out. Oh, okay. Let's let's use our toggles. We have toggles. We have tools. So you come in and say, okay, I'm going to go a little more boteco and go a little more like long exhalation. You know, maybe I'll even add a little bit of humming in there as well. And I'm going to increase nitric oxide. And I'm going to stimulate the vagus nerve. And I'm going to do all of these. You know, there's it's it's very simple uh, if you can follow these basic principles. You know, so a long exhalation is going to put you in a more calm restful state it's also going to be helpful with causing your body to be able to produce oxygen from your red blood cells more effectively so if you're always over breathing you're going to be kind of like a like a you know your your physiology will be more slobbish it'll be more wasteful you know so if you're in a place where it's like man i'm just really i'm out of it man and i gotta show up i got this thing you know i've got this athletic event you know whatever i like and i'm just i'm tired i'm i don't feel good you're like, oh, okay, cool. Let's upregulate. So let's simulate that that effect that you'd have if you were in that that fifth gear, and let's maybe do a little Wim Hof stuff, or maybe do a little holotropic stuff, you know. And within that, it's it's understanding. It's like, oh, okay, great. So I can really kind of choose my state, you know. And then a similar thing from a, a visual conversation: say, okay, I'm I'm stressed out. My go to is when I'm stressed out is uh, I just check out my notifications on Instagram, you know, or I check my emails or something kind of disassociate and disconnect and just like, I bury myself into my phone. You're perpetuating that stress cycle by myopically focusing in on a point. So the option for you in that scenario, if you want to just calm down, take a breath, you know, decompress, I got to gather myself is to ideally take your eyeballs outside, you know, expose yourself to full spectrum light. If you are inside maybe ideally open a window so you can actually get that light in um, and take in the entirety of the panorama. And when you're in that that position with your your eyes, um, it literally sends a signal into your physiology. It's like, okay, it's if I'm if I'm taking in the panorama, it's an indication that I'm probably not under attack. If suddenly there's a threat in a room, all of my attention poof goes to that point. So I can oscillate. I can I can go back and forth between a a, a stress state, a good stress state, and a, a calm, you know, restful, digesting, uh, restorative state. Just by toggling the way that I breathe, the way that I use my eyes, um, and there's other toggles as well.
0: It's interesting. Um, I have a, a game that my son wanted me to to check out uh, that requires you to kind of focus on the screen of a cell phone for a while, like like five or 10 minutes, you're looking at a little crap moving around and you know poking this and that. Well. Uh, but if I play that uh, for more than about 20 minutes, my vision is crap for the rest of the day and sometimes mm. the next day. Mm. Like my ability uh, to focus it's very noticeable shifts in vision. So it's that myopia. But where I'm looking at you now, you're about five feet away from me. Uh, on a screen. So, mm. my main screen is a 55 inch uh, high resolution TV that's very far back from the camera. And my main monitor for the computer is about three feet away from me. So, I'm always looking further away versus mm. looking right here or right yeah. here. Yeah. And I, the difference in breathing and vision changes, those are those subtle environmental variables that a lot of people don't talk about, even in functional movement. I like how you package it all together in yeah. the align method. It's a, It's a cool way of looking at it. But I still don't feel like I've got a good answer on mm. how long is it going to take. Sure. How much? What's what's my investment? Like, let's say I'm, I'm just going to become a devotee. I'm going to you know, grow a beard and look all tall and muscular like you, <laughs> all right? So I'm, I'm a mini you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if you wear white robes or anything, but I would wear white robes too. Okay, nice. I know
1: you don't love, but, love that. You
0: know, it's like, like I'm like I'm all in. What's my daily investment of time?
1: So daily investment of time. Okay, so let's say. Let's just put it together. Um, So, hanging, let's get a pull up bar in a common doorway that you go through. Um, I would suggest you hang in total each day for an aggregate of, you know, say 90 seconds. That's so right side up hanging. What about inversion? Is that included? Inversions right inversion? inversion's fine. I'm not like mad at inversion. Um, I think I think it's a, a great thing to have around, but I'm just saying pull up bar, something to hang off. It could be a tree branch outside, like that would be for bonus points. Okay. Um, yeah. Most most of the actual practices in the book, the other one would be spending time on the on the floor, on the ground. And it, it doesn't need to be this strange just, like aesthetic thing where you are um on a concrete floor. And you're like your your knees are getting bruised, and it's like I'm I'm doing the align method. It's like no, like make it comfortable, make it a really nice pleasurable experience. Like make it a vibe to use the previous language. Um, and so within that, it's not adding. You're not adding anything. You're you're just changing the structure of the environment so that just you being there it makes you you know more effective. I was going to say better, but again, that's you know that's a, a relative word. Um, so that's I would say no time. Um, but if you if you needed to put a timing on spending time on the ground each day, I would say you know thirty minutes at least. So for the the, the duration of this, this conversation, I'll be on the ground for whatever an hour or so. So I'm already okay. beyond my suggestion. And you don't um, really
0: care how you're sitting; like you can move around. You don't have to be in lotus pose.
1: No, see that's the beautiful thing: you you, you change the shape of the environment and allow the body to organize around it you know and so a really fundamental principle that people can take away here and say okay that's that's great but i feel uncomfortable when i when i sit on the ground what you need to do is you need to raise your hips up above the height of your knees so that sets yeah. your your pelvis and your lower back up to be stable so the the bottom vertebra the the l5 and, and s1 vertebra they're kind of more in a, the shape of a, a wedge you know so i don't know if you're familiar with Esther i feel like you might have conversated with her at some point no anyway, she sounds interesting just by me but i don't yeah, know her. she's she's interesting um, she's she gets into this 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 topic as well but um the the bottom vertebra are on, on the shape of a wedge and so that the, the native pattern of your spine to be able to just sit comfortably if you've ever spent time around a baby um they'll kind of tilt forward ever so slightly in the front of their hips and they just perfectly balance up through their skeletal structure what a beautiful thing to get your body to the point where organically that's just how you are you don't have to hold yourself together all the time you don't have to like do (laughs) movement you can just naturally organically be the thing if you set yourself up for success you know and the way to do that would be just make sure that your hips are up above the height of your knees period not complicated so if you're on a chair Um, then it's the same concept. So when you're sitting on a chair, which there's nothing wrong with a chair. A chair is just a tool. It's how you use it. Just like there's nothing wrong with a resting position. It's just how you use it. Uh, Just make sure that your hips are up above the height of your knees and you're slightly hinged, ever so slightly forward. And then you could have even have a friend push your shoulders down behind you and this is something i'll do when i'm I'm teaching workshops and things of the sort or working with clients uh, and just push weight down through the shoulders and you can feel yourself almost like growing up into that weight and if you can feel yourself stack and orient and feel like it it feels like easy and balanced down to your hips then you're doing it well you know so time consumption there wouldn't be a lot of time consumption there Um, other chapters are around you know how to reorient your your home and your office and your travel. So again, that's not a time thing; uh, it's more of a philosophy. It's the way that you you engage with being in your body in day to day processes, as opposed to this is this program that you are doing all the time. And the revised version that comes out January eleventh, we do add about a forty five minute long movement sequence or series that I recommend people doing three to four times a week. Um, but that's optional. That's just a, a helpful way to, to start to, to integrate all the parts, you know, so if you would add the movement series at the end, 45 minutes a week, um, times three, you know, so now we're looking at, you know, whatever three and change hours. Uh, but the main thing is just a philosophy of the way that you exist in your body and day to day. It's not adding anything in new. It's just a, a subtle reorientation. That's fantastic. And I'm kind of curious
0: I have this habit. Uh, going back you know, eight hundred episodes, I, I'm always looking to find people who are masters of their field, and then curating and curating and and boiling it down and kind of putting it all together. On your podcast, it's called the Align Podcast. Yeah. You've had pretty much a huge number of greats in functional movement there, mm-hmm. uh, and how much, how much of the emergence of Align Method came from studying with masters? versus
1: working with clients oh man oh it's so much from teachers i i think anytime a person writes a book at least you know when i write a book it's like the organization of a tribe and i just happen to have my name on the cover um but in the acknowledgements you know brian mckenzie patrick McEwen, um andrew huberman jill miller kelly starrett uh there's i mean there's like, like the list would go on of people that i reached out to um for insights on specific chapters, but also deriving information during podcasts and asking specific questions that were kind of scratching my own itch. And then um, times, you know, however many, probably thousands of hours of working one-on-one with clients and seeing what's working and what's not working. I wanted to summarize the five main movements from your book.
0: And I've got them as floor sitting, nasal breathing, hip hinging, hanging, and walking. And you've talked about all of those, but that list is kind of the Cliff's notes, at least my Cliff's notes from the book. Sure. Did I miss anything
1: that would be on your top list? Well, so the last part of the book um, would be the the moving your senses part. Um, I so love we that talked, part. We, okay. yeah. So we so we talked on on all of the the the, the five movement principles. Um, so with the five movement principles, it was really just something that's like if this baseline, if you engage with these activities in your life. Uh, you'll see tremendous change. And it's like, it's so simple and accessible. Um, that was that was the real intention with that. So we touch on nose breathing. We touch on hinging from your hips. We touch on hanging. Um, you know, so we, we kind of went over those guys. And then in the environmental section of the book, that was how to align your home and your office and your travel. You know, so subtle things I was just talking before with your community, uh, with your workstation. I mean, I think that's such a major thing. It's like, We spend so much time working, you know. And so one of the things I have a, you know, I have a a red light near far infrared light here, sitting, sitting beside me right now. Uh, You know, so my, my computer is facing in the direction of a window very intentionally so I can get natural full spectrum light to come through. Um, I'm able to relax my eyes and look out into the distance as I'm doing that. Okay. so, so I am so digging your focus on vision,
0: right? but I have a a serious philosophical question, and you may have a good answer for it. Okay. Yeah. Part of me, so I I can look out, and this is set up intentionally. I can look out. I can look at trees twenty feet away, eighty feet away, two hundred feet away, and I can look two miles away at trees on the top of Salt Spring Island. So I have all these focal depths, and I'll go out there, I'll exercise my eyes at different distances. Yeah. But that's over there to my right. Where I'm looking is I have my screens. And the reason I do it that way is that if you have a bright light behind your monitor, it creates a ton of eye strain because you're now trying to see a dark monitor against a bright background. So Mm -hmm. I've had a bunch of vision people say, you don't want to do that. It's going to give you headaches and cause eye strain. So I open the windows, I'm getting bright light from the side. Now, Hmm. benefits of having a window behind your monitor versus having no bright light behind your monitor do you have any information on that?
1: Probably probably just be a toss up at that point. (laughs) Like all of this stuff, I think oftentimes we can get so confined in these real like linear, okay, this step a step B step. It's like your body is so darn adaptable that if it's just a matter of you need to give it a a baseline of the raw, the, the raw components to be healthy. You know, so if for a moment you're slouching over a chair i love that there's nothing there's no no there's no problem with that it's the repetition of that if for a moment you're you know looking up to, into a wall or into a a blue light or whatever you're not going to just explode or develop like you know donk cancer it, you mean if 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 you touch a, a 5g device you won't die instantly right so within that it's like okay how can we buffer this and then the way that we can buffer that in relation to like a radiation conversation is like okay like maybe i'll hang around some trees especially if the trees go nice and deep down to the ground, maybe I'll go walk along a river. maybe I'll take my shoes off every now and again. I don't need to prove any point or make some like new age you know primal statement and be barefoot guy. Uh, just setting my life my life up so that I have these natural buffering mechanisms instilled throughout my entire day. and it doesn't need to be this strange heretical thing where you're proving a point. like that's I try to avoid that as much as I can. What did you learn at, when you read your book that you didn't know when you wrote the book? Oh, mm. well, that's an interesting question. What did I learn when I read the book that I didn't know when I wrote the book? I think what I learned is before I write another book, speak the book before I send it in for the final edit. I think when you speak a book, there's something really amazing that comes out when it's like it's that that oration it's it's the, the story is different when it's spoken than when it's read and for for me from an editing perspective i think it would be so fantastic to be able to do the audio the audiobook and then save those edits and then send the final 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 into the publishers which i don't know if that was what you're you're probably looking for something a little more like you know philosophical but that was something i was like oh man when you speak it it's different
0: you know, learning a best practice as uh, as an author is always valuable. There's a lot of people listening to the show who are also authors, sure. yeah. and there's I, I found when I I read uh, fastest way, and uh, there were a few times I'm like, oh, I forgot that I said that, and that was a really good example. So I feel like it locked the content into my brain sure. in a better way, so that I can have more fluid conversations about it. So there's something about memory repetition, even for words you wrote. Oh yeah, and. And then I went through recently, for the Upgrade Collective, I I created a course on every one of the books I've written. So I'm like, okay, if if it's worth my time to write the book, I should put it in a format where people can absorb it. And the courses are uh, part of the Upgrade Collective, so members are getting those. But that meant I had to reread a book that I might have written two years or four years or six years ago and yep. then reabsorb that and the chance to review your work like that it's pretty cool so i think everyone out here who has written a book or even if you write blog
1: posts and, and all read them out loud sometimes and you'll learn all sorts of cool stuff also writing it uh, freehand you know that's something that's kind of like a lost a lost practice you don't write and your books freehand seriously no no just writing something oh. freehand oh okay you know so having <laughs> having having a having a journal or you know things that i care about i have like you know i actually have my notebook right here i i always not always, but I often have a notebook nearby. Um, and so within that... Guys, all of my notes I write all freehand.
0: Are all, 90% are freehand because I yeah. remember better. And yeah. then I type what I need to remember, I take a picture.
1: And and so this gets into another interesting conversation that kind of comes back to the whole you know physical embodiment stuff. Embodied cognition is a, is a fancy term for the way that we move, the way that it, again, informs the way that we think and the way that we feel and the way that we perceive. When you are You've probably seen the, the research around writing in cursive being supportive for like creativity and things of the sort. And so when yeah. you're when you're writing and e- expressing yourself through the hand, um, it literally it's it's like we were talking about before with you know that the gluteal muscles and the, the the hinging of the ankles. All that's it's not just localized to your fingertips or to your hand. You're literally turning the gears in your neurology, and so the the research that I remember with the cursive writing it's a little blurry uh, but i believe going through those flowy patterns was supportive for people's creativity i think if i remember it correctly i've got one more uh, question for you
0: i've gone back and forth on this over the years and uh people by now have probably heard me talk about the sleep challenge where I, i just teach how to how to do everything I know to improve sleep for free. And sleepwithdave.com is the way you access that. Nice. I if you can't remember that. Love that. crazy. Um, but I talk about sleep position. And I've, I've covered this in a couple different books. And you have a morning practice in the Align Method. And you have a, an evening practice. And evening practice, you say, sleep on your side or your back. And that sleep on your side is the best in a stacked position. Hmm. Now, I've gone back and forth on those two. Tell me the argument for sleeping on your side
1: versus your back. So, the argument, one, you can sleep on your back. Uh, you just want to make sure that your spine isn't in an overly extended position. So, if you're going to be sleeping on your side naturally, you're going to go slightly into that elongated kind of flexed position throughout the spine. So, you can elongate through the neck and the, the lower back. Um, and one potential argument is that it's supportive for the glymphatic system which most of the mm-hmm. research has been done with rats for that uh, but it's supposed to be helpful with elongating essentially like that that line from the spinal cord up into the brain you know the dura mater and all that all that the stuff wrapping through there it puts puts the it, it relieves the tension from that system and so one of the arguments is it's helpful with, uh, you know, cir- circulation of the amyloid beta plaque and all the things, which, uh, you know, that's would be contentious because there hasn't been human research that I've gathered from that. Um, left or right side, does not matter? Left is the one that's suggested uh, as far as if there was like like the, the king of of the sleeping sides, and that has to do with the the positioning of the heart and the lymphatic system. And so it's the specific details of that I, I actually it, I, I'm blurry on the exact the exact details of it. Uh, but the suggestion is it's supportive for the movement of lymph, and it's supportive for the return of venous flow back to the heart, based off of the positioning of the heart.
0: It's so interesting. Uh, my data was that if you sleep on your right side, it's better because the heart is up higher versus down low and that had less stress on it. And there was some uh, th- there was some data that supported that along with the glymphatic thing for side sleeping. But then you talk to the cosmetic people and they say, oh, that smashes your face and you'll get all sorts of weird wrinkles and right. you should sleep on your back. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. then you sleep on your back, your jaw falls back and you're more likely to snore, which hurts sleep. So yeah. I... Right now, and like, if you can tape your mouth and you don't snore too much, and you can now monitor snoring with apps, that's probably superior. Yeah, uh, but I don't know. Do you, for do sure. you know? Do
1: <laughs> you know the book "Shut Your Mouth, Save Your Life" by George Catlin? You ever heard of that? Yeah, it was written like a couple hundred years ago. Um, mm-hmm. He he was a lawyer originally, and he was also an artist. And he ended up going out and spending time with Native Americans, um, and what he he was he would paint them, and he was like studying them, and he made this whole book about. Uh, how they had better teeth and they were healthier and they were more vibrant and their jawline was was prominent and strong and they didn't have all this malocclusion, all these issues. And uh, in in his book uh, and, the, and the pictures that he had, he had Native Americans kind of sleeping on this like this hard it was pretty pretty hard surface and their heads were raised up and you know they were sleeping supine on their back um there's other research that suggests like primates tend to sleep on their side so humans are going to do the same thing because we're practically primates Uh, i'm I'm spacing the name of the guy that that did that he's got a whole thing about it yeah Uh, it's it's really it's back and forth it's back and forth i think i think ultimately i don't mess with people's sleep um i say make the place dark i say make sure your mouth is shut um, I say make sure your spine is pretty darn close to you know, like neutral, you know, so you don't have a big kink anywhere throughout the spine. Think of your spine like a like a fishing pole. So a fishing pole, you want to distribute that stress through the entirety of the pole. So when you're sleeping, you don't want to put one single kink or just doing life in general. You don't want to put a, a kink in an acute location. Typically, it's going to be like up around the, the, the cervical spine in the neck. Um, that's going to be a, a, a stressed spine. You know, so when you're in that sleeping position, you know it's okay to kind of go curl up into like little little fetal type position. Just make sure you're elongating through the entirety of the spine. And you know, outside of that, I don't I don't try to mess with people's sleep because I care most that you sleep. You know, if you're not sleeping, then we have a whole other whole other issue in our hands. Got it. I, I like to play with people's sleep because I'm like, you can do more in less time. Come on, from a from, a from a from a postural, <laughs> from a pastoral from a pastoral perspective. Oh, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't like working with clients and such because when I work with clients, I kind of go through uh, kind of like a whole lifestyle upgrade, to use your language. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, so we go in and we look at sleep, and we go and we we kind of like audit their house and their office and um, their you know the way that they move throughout their daily life and the one place if a person is like this is this is the position it's the position that's like my sweet spot for me to fall asleep. I'm like, as long as you're sleeping <laughs> like that's the thing that i I don't want to change your position and sacrifice a person's sleep, but you know I'd be open to being my mind being changed on that too
0: um it's uh, it's an area of tons of research that I'm pretty sure no big pharma company is ever going to go after <laughs> but we. I did also years ago. I said, "All right, what happens if I sleep on the floor?" And I read probably a book by that same guy whose name we can't remember. Yeah, and he said, "I mean, it's always slept on the floor." So I slept on a hard, like an oak floor, for about two or three months. Until I got used to it, just on a blanket. Yeah, and you know what? It did take me a little while, feeling like shit, and it was without a pillow too, because you know you didn't have pillows back then. Yeah. and I realized, you know, I actually like pillows, and I'm okay with that. I'm a, I'm but I did. Gain a preference for a very firm sleeping surface that I never had before.
1: There's value in putting yourself in situations that causes your body to naturally move. You know, so if a person that has congenital analgesia where they like, they don't feel stuff, um, they're going to have problems. You know, they're going to bite their tongue off and they're going to burn themselves and they're going to not move enough because they're never uncomfortable. You so now if you're not moving enough, you're never uncomfortable, now you're not moving your lymphatic system and you're not, you know, you're not circulating right. You're not able to heal and restore your tissues. So there is a Goldilocks range for every person to be in just nudging into the realm of discomfort for adaptation and, 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 you know, hermetic adaptation, hermetic stress, but not going to the point where it's, it's so much that you're like, okay, I'm over it. I'm out, you know? And so that's, it's, it's, it's that. Um, that Goldilocks point is really the important thing, and that Goldilocks point is something that's always fluctuating. And as you as you nudge into it, suddenly your boundaries become broader. And I think that that's really like the key to anything: skill acquisition, success, happiness. You know, all all of the things that most people probably be inclined towards would be being respectful of that Goldilocks point and just. Respectfully nudging your boundaries with regularity, and also you know acknowledging yeah. rest and restoration, and you know loving yourself, you know. Exactly,
0: I uh, I so resonate with all that stuff. We're we're very aligned. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah I get, I get what that. we recommend for people because <laughs> uh, if you study with enough. You know, historical lineages of, of all these different things or enough uh, people with way more experience than you or I have, you start realizing there's some common themes. And when you experiment, you realize there's common themes. And I, I think we're, we're both going down that path and saying, all right, how do we share that with people? Mm-hmm. in a way that means they don't have to do as much research on it uh, and in, as much experimenting as, as you or I do. So I, I think you've you've got a great body of work in The Aligned Method. Thank you, that if people take a look at it and try it, the, the five things we talked about before, the main movements are are really, uh, really important. I appreciate that. I want to thank you for being on the show. Thanks for your new book, The Aligned Method. It's good stuff. And thanks for your cool podcast.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate you.
0: If you guys like today's episode, you know what to do, you could share it with a friend or you could look at ourupgradecollective.com because you could have been in the live audience. And if you saw the comment thread this time, you would be laughing your ass off. <laughs> I'll see you on the next episode. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey.